This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word to us this morning. I pray that you would speak to us by the power and presence of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Make yourselves comfortable, but not too comfortable. As members of my own extended family, some close friends and some colleagues have each become sick with the coronavirus over the past few weeks. It's all becoming very real and very personal. While most people recover from this virus and many people experience relatively mild symptoms, we also know that others suffer greatly and thousands have died. Today's gospel reading with its account of Lazarus becoming ill, dying, and then being miraculously raised to life by Jesus is a powerful and timely narrative for us today. For Jesus, it was personal. Lazarus was his friend. Jesus was close to Lazarus and his two sisters, Mary and Martha. We know from the gospel accounts that Jesus had visited their home several times. At the start of this account today in John 11, we learn that Lazarus was ill. And so his sisters, Mary and Martha, sent a message to Jesus saying in verse 3, Lord, he whom you love is ill. And I should imagine that having sent that message, they were very much hoping that Jesus would come right away. And likewise, when we pray for those we love, we want God to answer our prayers right away. But when Jesus got their message, he said, this illness does not lead to death, rather it is for God's glory, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And then in verse 5, we read, Accordingly, though Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, after having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And that word accordingly seems odd. We might have expected to have read, because Jesus loved his friends, he dropped everything and went straight away to Bethany. But what we discover is not that Jesus didn't love his friends and therefore delayed, but rather, because he loved them, he waited. So because Jesus loved this family and because he was concerned about doing his father's will, both, he delayed. Acting in accordance with God's will needs to come first and foremost above all the pressing things of life. And acting in accordance with God's will is also and always the way of love. Even when it may not look that way. His delay was the most loving and the best thing possible. Though his friends didn't know it and couldn't see it at the time, the truth was that the delay of Jesus in responding to Mary and Martha's plea for help was for a purpose. And that purpose was bigger and greater and even more significant than their brother's illness. 
Now, of course, when your brother or daughter or husband or mother is gravely ill, it's hard to think of anything being more important. When you are no longer in control of your circumstances, when you are desperate for help, it's easy and understandable to lose a right sense of perspective other than that which is right in front of you. But in those times when all may seem hopeless, we are to hold on. Hold on to the truth that Jesus is not deaf to our cries. He's not ignoring our prayers because he doesn't care about us or has better things to do. Rather, there are eternal purposes that we may not understand or be able to see. But whatever the reasons, Jesus knows. He sees, he understands, cares. And in the grand scheme of all eternity, he has done something about the brokenness of our lives. Brokenness that leads even to death. What we see in this extraordinary story today, just two weeks before Easter, are two very important things. First, the death and raising to life again of Lazarus was a foreshadowing of what was to come with Jesus. Second, and this is important, it was also a cause for what was going to come for Jesus. This act of Jesus calling Lazarus out of the tomb is a pivotal moment in the whole Gospel of John. What Jesus did that day in Bethany, just two miles from Jerusalem, was the reason why the religious authorities finally decided Jesus must be stopped. He had to die. When Jesus got that message from Mary and Martha, he knew what he was doing when he waited to respond. And there was a reason he didn't immediately rush off to Bethany. And John, the gospel writer, tells us it was, the reason was to lead to God's glory. The glory that came when Jesus called Lazarus out of the tomb. But even beyond that, the glory that came when Jesus gave up his own life for the world. Jesus knew what the consequences would be for Lazarus, and he knew what the consequences would be for himself. Lazarus would live. Jesus would die. For Lazarus, as later for all Jesus' followers in every time and place, Jesus deliberately offered his own life for his friend. Jesus is both resolute, willing to do and to allow whatever is necessary for eventual joy and transformation. And Jesus is also compassionate, weeping with us and suffering with us and for us on the way to that joy. Although they could not see it or understand it at the time, it was out of love that Jesus held back and even allowed Mary and Martha to suffer the grief and the pain that they did. Jesus could see the big picture that they could not. I think perhaps this is an important word for us today. Sometimes God permits us to suffer. Sometimes God chooses not to intervene and fix things when and how 
we want. This does not mean that God is weak or capricious, but rather that he is holy and his ways are not our ways. We do not know <clears throat> how long, excuse me, <clears throat> we don't know how long this novel coronavirus will wreak chaos, suffering, and upheaval in our world. We don't know whether we or our loved ones will succumb to illness or even death because of this pandemic. But as we wait for relief, as we long to be back together again, as the kids were sharing in their notes and uh, pictures, as we cry out to God for mercy, for help, for healing, we can do so knowing that his timing is always right. One of the lessons of this account of Lazarus and Jesus' delay in responding to the cry for help is that it reminds us that God is sovereign. He sees the whole picture, and we see just a small part. Furthermore, despite all you may hear or wish to the contrary, God's purpose for us is not to make us happy, but to make us holy. Although we might like a life that has instant answers to all our prayers and cries for help on our times, in our terms, and according to our timetables, that is rarely, if ever, the route to holiness. While God does not always answer our prayers when or how we would like, it does not mean that he hasn't heard us or that he doesn't love us. Indeed, another of the lessons from today's gospel is just how much God does truly love us. We see the love that Jesus had for his close friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. When Mary caught up with her sister and, and, and came to Jesus, she said the exact same thing to Jesus as Martha had said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And then John tells us, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He asks where the tomb is and then Jesus bursts into tears. I wonder why. There may have been many reasons why Jesus was weeping. Let me offer three. First, Jesus was not pulling cosmic strings and entering into some charade as one who didn't care about the grief and the loss. Jesus wasn't toying with them before making a grand flourish when he would call Lazarus out from the tomb. No, these tears show us that he is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah years before had said, he has borne our grief and carried our sorrows. Commentator Frederick Bruner writes, death hurts everybody, including Jesus. Second, as Jesus was confronted by the steer-tained faces of his dear friends and by all the weeping and grief that was present in that moment, I imagine all that emotion stirred up deep sadness and sorrow in Jesus. If you walk into a room where people are beside themselves with grief, it's hard for that not to happen for any of us. As it's often said, 
one grief touches another. And I think that may have been happening with Jesus too. And for Jesus, that grief was not only about what had been lost in the past, but surely had something to do with the pain and the grief that was to come. Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem and his own terrible death. The third reason Jesus wept, I think, is somewhat different. Twice, John tells us that he was deeply disturbed. First when he saw Mary crying, and then again when he came to the tomb. And greatly disturbed could equally be translated as angry. Jesus was more than just sad or sympathetic or having empathy or even grieving his own impending suffering. One commentator put it this way, Jesus approached the grave of Lazarus in a state not of uncontrollable grief, but of inexpressible anger. True, he did also respond with tears, but the emotion which tore his breast and clamored for utterance was just rage. If that's right, what was it that could have caused such anger in Jesus? I think it was death itself. Jesus, you remember, was in the beginning with God, creating the world. Here, the author of life was staring at death. In Mary's grief and his own, he sees and feels the misery of the whole human race and is enraged by that ultimate statistic. This was not the mere fear of death. Rather, this was outrage and wrath at death itself. And behind death, the one who had the power of death and whom he had come into the world to destroy. When I see the heart-rending scenes from intensive care units in Italy with exhausted medical staff being forced to make horrendous decisions about who will receive care and who will not. And when I see pictures of churches turned into morgues, I feel helpless, sorrowful, and sometimes I do feel anger, anger at the ravages of sin and death. The sin and selfishness that leads to deep wounding of others, the forces of evil that assail us on every side, the ravages of sickness and disease which lead even to death are real. But one of the very powerful lessons from our scriptures this morning is that Satan does not get the last word. Amen? He will not triumph in the end. There is no situation which is beyond God's help. At that village in Bethany, Jesus, the resurrection and the life, confronted death. In a short while, he would confront it once and for all, in his own death on the cross. But on this occasion, Jesus demonstrated that he was who he said he was as he calls Lazarus out of the tomb. And notice how he does that. Again, quoting theologian Bruner, an immovable object meets an irresistible force. Death meets Christ, and Christ conquers. The good shepherd knows his sheep by name. 
with a loud voice, Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. This was not an invitation. It was not a suggestion. It was not some pious, holy-sounding prayer. This was a command. And what happened? Verse 44. The dead man came out. The story of the scriptures from cover to cover is the story of God transforming seemingly hopeless situations into opportunities for showing his glory. It's one thing to believe that Jesus has the power to raise us from the dead on some future date, but it's quite another to believe that Jesus can do something about our lives in the here and now. Many Christians will say they believe that Jesus will give them eternal life one day in the future, but they act as if he has no power to affect their lives today. They are like Martha saying, Lord, I know that Lazarus will rise on the last day, not realizing that Jesus would rise him on this day. If Jesus has the power to give us life after death, then he certainly has the power to give us life before death. The hope that we have as Christians is not only hope for the future, hope for tomorrow, hope for life after death. It is that. It's all of that. But it is also hope for life today. Life that comes to us even in the desolate places of our lives, even in the midst of a global pandemic, even when people get sick or die, even when people lose their jobs and face terrible uncertainty. Whereas Martha went running out to meet Jesus, Mary, it seems, was completely debilitated by her grief and disappointment. But I love it in this text where we read that Jesus, when Jesus had arrived in Bethany and he talked with Martha, verse 28, Martha goes back to the house and calls her sister Mary and speaks to her privately. The teacher is here and is calling for you. That's true this morning. Jesus is here by his spirit calling you. Just as the prophet Ezekiel in his dream that we heard about in our Old Testament passage today called upon the spirit to breathe life into a valley of dry bones, so you can call upon the Lord to send his Holy Spirit to breathe, to breathe his life, health, and strength into your heart and mind, into your marriage and family, into our church and community, so that others would see the glory of God, that others would see in you and me the truth and the vitality of the hope that we have as Christians, hope that persists against all odds, hope that is based on Jesus, the one who is the resurrection and the life. And I say that not in any triumphalist sense, knowing all too well in my own life that sometimes Jesus doesn't seem to come quickly enough and it can feel like his delay is cruel and we so easily cry if only if only lord you would help me if only you would hear my cries and answer my prayers and by the way can i say this if that's 
what you need to say to God, then you say that to God. He's heard it before. And the Psalms are full of prayers like that. As I heard our beloved retired priest Anne Payton say to us a few years ago, a few years ago, the only way you can really fail in prayer is by not praying. So have at it and cry out to God. Bruner writes, we who read this gospel story today know the end of the story and so have some relief. But this hurting family and every other hurting family before and since does not know future particulars and so is very vulnerable. African-American author and activist James Baldwin wrote this, The Lord never seems to get there when you want him. But when he arrives, he's always on time. How true that was for Lazarus and his family in the end. But it doesn't at first lessen the pain of those who grieve now. And so we are called to live somewhere between the now and the not yet. We must live under the pressures of stay-at-home orders, illness, unemployment, and all the fears and anxiety that these things bring. Christ, the Lord of life, still invites the world to come to him. Death is inevitable for all of us, but Christ has won the victory over death, and he shares that victory with all who repent and believe in him as their saviour and Lord. To respond to Christ's invitation is to die to yourself, but to die in this sense is to begin to live. As for Jesus, so for us, death leads to resurrection. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live, and everyone who believes in me will never die. And after Jesus said those words, he turned to his dear friend Martha and asked her, Do you believe this? This morning, the teacher is here, in your home, wherever you are, and he's calling for you. He asks you and he asks me, Do you believe me? Will you trust me? Oh Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. Amen.